Bible study. So glad that you're here. I love this Bible study. I love of all the things that I do throughout the week. All the things I do throughout the week, preaching on Sunday morning or traveling around the country, speaking on family and marriage issues and all the stuff I do, the one service that I look forward to the most is this one. Doesn't mean the other ones aren't good, because I like this one, because I like just getting in the Word and not having to think so hard. (laughs) Just let's hear what God's got to say, and uh, it's good stuff. Now, uh, we've already finished the book of James, we're kind of just jumping around, is is there any reason to, or, or, or rhyme or reason to what you're doing? Not really. Just kind of, just picking books that I kind of dig. But we'll we'll get through them all, Lord willing. We did the book of James, we just finished Ephesians, and I was kind of guessing on the next one. I I decided to go with Galatians. And uh, Galatians is a very interesting, very interesting letter that Paul wrote. uh, Called Book of the Bible. I mean, it's it's, it's, uh, it's actually a letter, an epistle. That's what epistle means, is letter. The the reason I I really kind of enjoy this is because if there's one thing that we've picked up, boy, I'm going to get myself in all kinds of trouble here. I got to be careful. (laughs) Like I'd be careful. But uh, uh, um, in, in the body of Christ is this attitude of conflict is bad. If we have a disagreement or conflict, people freak out. If, if there's, you've heard me preach uh, sometimes, many times this year about what I feel the church has been poisoned by what I call the feminization of the church. And really, if you, if you trace it, it goes all the way back to the 1800s. This is the 1800s men have been repelled by and large by churches. They're all girly, feely, squishy. And, and by and large, even the men that are drawn to the priesthood, this is where I got to get to the ministry, this is where I got to get careful so I don't insult tons of my fellow brethren. But uh, they tend to be very effeminate, a lot of these guys. They just do. And, and they just, you know, if you've met many pastors, they're just these all real sweet and squishy guys who, who God bless them, have no backbone at all. They just don't. I don't know how they stand up. There's got to be a wire or something in there holding them together. Because, come on, because they just, they don't, they don't want, just let's all get along. Let's just all get along. Let's just all get along. And they'll put up with anything. And, and they won't they won't attack issues. They won't really speak the truth. They're afraid to call something sin that is blatantly sin by Christian standards. We've accommodated everything and anything, it seems like, in churches. They, because it's by and large led by men who just don't want to offend anybody. And while I appreciate the attitude of not wanting to offend, you know, we still need to speak the truth. And there's nothing wrong with being strong and passionate about what you believe. And there's nothing wrong with a bunch of believers getting together and wrestling issues through. We can argue and still love each other. At least that should be a biblical way of doing things. A lot of these people, the minute they start arguing, they just their, their knees collapse and they freak out. I know I've been to these meetings over the last year and I tick these people off as soon as I start arguments and they all freak out. And I start debating something, start fighting something, something that we're not doing right in the church. And as soon as I take a stand and you can tell there's any tension in the room, you should watch these guys. They just all freak. Because by and large, they're all the same temperament of the squishy, gushy, God bless them. I'm not condemning that. What I'm complaining about is that seems to be virtually the only temperament we see hardly in pastors today. You get guys that are strong and confrontational and control-oriented and get-her-done kind of guys. That, that's pretty rare. And I think the body of Christ would be healthier if we attract all temperaments into the kingdom of God and heard from all different sides. But this thinking that confrontation in and of itself is evil or bad is, is just unbiblical. These guys frequently would fight with each other. They did. And we're going to take a look at that. We're going to see this in Galatians because he's like seriously hacked in this. You know, uh, I remember one pastor saying, teaching once, that the number one thing to succeed in life is you, you, need, you need to avoid confrontation. 
Which is, of course, the world he comes from. All these guys just avoid, at all costs, avoid confrontation. What kind of nonsense is that? You can't grow if you don't have confrontation. Uh, you know, I, I speak about marriage all over the country. People say, well, how do, you, how do you deal with confrontation? You just fight it out. There's nothing wrong with it. You, confrontation is really the key to intimacy in marriage. It is. Fighting. It's good for you. If you fight fair, what we get in trouble is we fight dirty. And we get mean. That's not right. But confrontation, you can't grow if you don't and adjust to stuff and learn and, and work things through. This idea that confrontation somehow is unbiblical or whatever is ludicrous and absurd. Parents who freak out, Christian parents who freak out because there's conflict in their home with their teenagers. <laughs> Pastor, there's something wrong. There's conflict in our home. There's nothing wrong. Man, you stand between hell and your kid, there's going to be confrontation. There just will be. Unless you capitulate, which is a lot of what people do. The minute the kid starts giving any kind of static, they're so, everybody's so afraid of conflict. They're just, okay, okay, let him do what he wants. Let him do. I trust my kid. You know, we, we fall back on that. You trust your teenager, you're an idiot. You should be horsewhipped publicly in the public square. Trust your kids. We used to love going over to people's houses where they trusted their kids. <laughs> Let's go to Bob's house. His parents trust him. Yeah! Conflict is not about it can be destructive without question. When it gets nasty and mean and you fight dirty with it. But the idea of pushing through issues is not an unhealthy thing. It is, in fact, a very biblical thing, and you're going to see this here. And we're going to see, as we read in Galatians, you're about to get really shocked at how angry he is when you start reading this and putting it into plain English. You know, these translators, they, they use fancy words so that you don't quite get it. But we're going to take a look at it. You're going to see what he's saying, and it won't take long <laughs> before you see how hacked he is. Now, when you're really hacked, and you are writing someone... Virtually everything you say is very intentional. Right? You're setting the argument right from the beginning. La 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 to make your case. This is how he begins. It's not warm and fuzzy here. We'll see this as he starts in verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, I am a sent one. God sent me. He says, I wasn't sent by men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is an important point. Because what he's doing is jockeying for position here. And he's going to get this into more detail when we get into chapter 2. About the fact that God called him in a unique way than any of the other apostles. He didn't make this stuff up. He didn't hear somebody else talk about it. He didn't really hear any preaching from anyone else. This came as direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You remember the story. He's on the road to Damascus. He's been persecuting the church. Killing Christians. Trying to do everything he can to destroy the church. God knocks him down to the ground. Blinds him. Says to him, why are you bugging me? He goes, who's talking? Says, I'm Jesus. Knock it off. My translation. (laughs) And he goes... Okay, <laughs> and he gets up and he's blind and it, he gets saved and baptized and healed and what an incredible man this is who wrote the bulk, by the way, of the New Testament. So he, he didn't make this stuff up. He knew what happened to him and it's an important point he makes from the beginning. So then he says, okay, I'm writing to all and all the brothers with me. All right, this is who was talking. Me, Paul, the apostle, and all the guys with me. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That's the whole point of this whole thing. What the context here is Paul is furious at these people because they have allowed others to push them away from the New Testament into the Old Testament. And if you've listened to me very long at all, you have heard me say on many occasions, while we can great, gain great 
strength and wisdom and blessing from reading the Old Testament. You do not live by these rules in here. Are you hearing me? Don't let anybody tell you, you know, you got to eat certain foods or not eat certain foods because of what something that said in the Old Testament. Or celebrate certain days and not celebrate certain days because it was on the Old Testament. Or one year is a year of Jubilee versus another year of something because it's all in the Old Testament. We do not live by these regulations. I can't make it strong enough. Now, you can if you want by choice say, well, you know, there's so many things that they did and I, I just freely choose to do that. I'm cool with that. You can do whatever you want. But don't make this, because what happens when people get into this Old Testament stuff, they feel obligated to make everybody else do it. And you need to obey the law, and you can't work on Saturday, because if you work on Saturday, you'll go to hell, and then, and then, and all these things, and they get real intense, you know, about the rules and regulations, and you can't have a Christmas tree, because in the Old Testament, it condemns people who have things hanging on trees. Well, I don't know what they're talking about, but goodness gracious! That is the Old Testament! We do not live by these rules. We live by grace. Not Greece. There's a big difference. A lot of people live by grace, which means anything can go. No, 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 no. There are very clear standards in the New Testament about how we should live as believers in Jesus Christ. But it is not the rules and regulations of the Levitical Old Testament law. Now what had happened is these guys started getting into that and it just hacked him off. If there's one thing you will hear over and over again throughout the New Testament is this argument. Now this book is virtually exclusive to the argument. But you'll read it throughout the New Testament. you read it through the book of Acts. It was the one thing that they seemed to fight about more than anything is the idea do we have to live by these Old Testament rules. Now for the oddest, you know... How you can read the Bible and not get this, I don't know. I mean, what you're about to see is one of the clearest demonstrations and arguments and explanations of why we don't. And how believers in Christ, and there are some wonderful believers in Christ. They're wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, but they just, they don't see it. How can you not see it? It is like, Hochi Mama, it's right there. And we're going to look at it. But a lot of people don't see it. Probably a lot of people don't read it is the problem. But they get caught up in this other stuff. And I don't hate these people. And while we might disagree, we can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul was really mad about is these guys seem to follow all these new believers and insist that they follow these rules. Because you remember that the early Christians, they were by and large Jewish. And it really hacked a lot of them off when you and I were able to become Christians without being Jewish. It just ticked them off. They hated it. And they thought, well, at least if they're going to be believers, then they should be circumcised. And become, and when they they talk about circumcision, they're talking about having to become obligated to all the rules. That's what it meant. It also went literally circumcision. Which if you don't know what that means, it means cutting off the end of your weenie. (laughs) Now they decided... That Christians did not have to do that. Thank God in heaven. It's hard enough to get people to come to church. Can you imagine? I'd like to welcome you to Celebration Church. Hope you become a believer in Jesus. Of course, we will need to cut off the end of your weenie. I mean, come on. This would have really made it rather difficult. You've got to admit... Thank God they didn't get into all of this stuff. What a bizarre thing anyway. I tell you what, God sure knew how to get a guy's attention. Can you imagine Abraham selling this idea to the troops? Hey guys, come here. Yeah. Hey man, God spoke to me and we are going to be his special people. Woo! Yeah! High five! Hoo, hoo, hoo. That's fabulous, he says. And and he's given us a sign that nobody else is going to have. Yeah! (laughs) What is it? Tattoo? (laughs) No, not a tattoo. What is this? Some kind of hair, hair thing? No. Well, tell us 
What is it? Okay. Well, God wants us. God wants us to, yeah, what is it? He, he wants us to cut off the end of our weenies. <laughs> what? There ain't no way. There's a reason my arms are this long. Can you imagine? What a bizarre thing. Now, I'm sure there was something cool about all that somewhere. But man, talk about getting a boy's attention. He sure had all the boy's attention when he came up with that rule. But when you hear about this whole idea of circumcision, it's more than just that physical act. It's all this idea of following the Old Testament rules. And what he is setting out here is that all of this that we're talking about is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That's what this is about. Now what's interesting about this is while we, while we don't have a history of Judaism per se, what we do have is a history of religiosity. Of going to church. And doing certain sacraments and certain things and certain classes. And and we think that this is what brings us to God. No. Now they, 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 they don't necessarily have to be bad things. But that's not what brings you to God. You don't find relationship with God because you've been baptized. You don't find relationship with God because you were confirmed. You don't find relationship with God because you take communion. You don't find relationship with God because somebody sprinkled something on you. Are you hearing me? There's only one way to have relationship with God. And he says it here. It is through Jesus Christ. In verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. And let me say this. If you don't have a sense of being rescued. I doubt that you get this. You have to understand something. Jesus didn't come just to make your life better. Are you hearing me? He didn't come just to bless you. He's not a multivitamin. That if you take it, you'll have more energy than if you don't. Jesus came to rescue us, to save us. Without God, without what Jesus Christ did, if we don't have that in our lives, we are headed on a one-way train to hell. It is just that clear. If you get that, if you go, good heavens, because of my sins, because of what I've done, I am on a one-way trip to hell, and you understand that Jesus Christ died for you, then you think of, yes, save me. That's why we use the word saved. Have you been saved? Saved from what? So people don't understand it. What do you mean saved? I mean, were you lost? Well, spiritually, yeah. It's being rescued, pulled out of the fire, man. That's what Jesus has done for us. And while Jesus brings great blessing and God brings great blessing and joy into your life, you have to understand something. Jesus did not die on the cross to make you happy. He died to make you holy. There's a big difference. He died to redeem us from sin. That's what this is all about. Hallelujah. All right. So he starts out and he lays... Yeah. All of this according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he starts lining up to tee off on him. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now what does the word gospel mean? Anybody know? Good news. It's good news. When you understand that Jesus came to rescue you That you can be rescued. That God can forgive you of your sins and set everything right between you and God through Jesus Christ. This, my friend, is good news. And that you can't buy it. You can't earn it. The good news is you don't have to buy it. And you don't have to earn it. That's the good news. It's a gift. Woohoo! This is a good thing. He says, you have deserted the one who called you by the grace of Christ. They probably thought, what what is he talking about? 
What is he talking about? We haven't deserted Christ. We haven't deserted Christ. We're just, you know, we're just, just making sure we do everything right. But see, he understood that if you start making it about what you do by rules and regulations, you desert grace. You're deserting the true gospel. Because he said, you're turning what he called a different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all. Why? Because it's not good news. It is not good news to understand that you come to God in faith and now you have to obey all of these rules and regulations. Which, by the way, the people who, who, who push this on other believers, they're very selective. You know, they just push the ones they like. The truth is, the Bible says if you're obligated to obey any of them, you have to obey all of them. It is tough, tough stuff with tough, tough requirements and regulations and punishments. Man! He says, that's not a gospel at all. Evidently, he says, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And keep this in mind, these were believers. These some people he's talking about, he's not talking about a bunch of heathens or wicked, you know, witches and warlocks or, you know. He's talking about people who profess the name of Christ Jesus are trying to throw them into confusion. And that's exactly what happens when you start getting pulled into legalism instead of grace. It'll confuse the dickens out of you. He says they're trying to pervert the good news of Christ. Now check this out. You don't think he's mad? We're only in verse 8 here. We're just a few sentences into this letter. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him go to hell. That's what that means. Let him be eternally condemned. See, they're being very nice the way they translate these things, you know. Let him be eternally condemned. What does that mean? Go to hell. You say, oh my goodness, he he could have possibly meant that. Yeah. Well, maybe he just made a mistake when he he first wrote that because he was upset. Look at verse 9. As we have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you have accepted, let him go to hell. Does he sound mad to you? This is one mad boy. This is his opening line. Go to hell. I mean, he is furious. He says, even if I do it. I should go to hell. Even if an angel were to show up and pervert this gospel in any way, he should go to hell. And anybody else who comes in, perverts this gospel, and pulls people away from grace into legalism ought to go to hell. Now, I I, don't clap. (laughs) Now, don't you say that, okay? If you find somebody who wants to say, you go to hell, don't do that, okay? But I'm just telling you, this is how angry he is. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? He says, what about trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Christ was not a popular thing. And the truth of the matter is, you really serve the Christ of the Gospels, you won't be all that popular with a lot of people. You know, people of like precious faith, those who you give them good news to and they, they, they accept this wonderful, joyous relationship with God, they'll like you. But the world in which we live, I promise you, doesn't like this message. They don't like the fact, you know, that Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us. You know, they, they just, you know, that's too much. And to them, Jesus is, a, Jesus is a, a, he's a great philosopher. He's one of the better philosophers of, of ancient time. He was a good man. He was just one of many prophets. No, 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 no. He's it. That's it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can get to God but through me. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Christ that was prophesied from the very first day that God would send the Messiah. What was the Messiah for? To save us. To rescue us from sin and from the power of sin in our lives. So he goes on, he says, uh, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach you is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Very unusual because all the apostles heard it directly from Jesus. 
And all the believers heard it from the apostles and from others. And all men taught them and instructed. And I'm sure you heard the gospel because someone brought it to you. Paul is very unique. Though uh, I've, I've heard of stories, uh, people in other countries who without hearing from anyone, God actually appeared to them and, and spoke to them in a way that helped them to understand the gospel. It, it, it happens from time to time. But certainly in Paul's case, this was a divine movement in his life. He didn't receive it from man. He didn't make this up. He said, I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation directly from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How I intensely persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. He's sharing his personal story here. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. And was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. What is he saying? Of those people who are trying to push you back into that. He said, I did all of that. I was at the top of the game. There were few people in Paul's day that were a more faster, brighter shining star than Saul of Tarsus. That was his name before he became a Christian. Saul. It's actually how you pronounce it over there. Saul of Tarsus. He's laying down. He says, man, I get this. I get it. I know it really, really, really better than anybody. I was zealous for this. He said, but when God, who set me apart from birth, he knew God had his hand on him from birth, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years... I went up to Jerusalem. And it's very interesting because we'll see some of the time frames that he talks about in here. A lot of times when you read the book of Acts and you can read through, you know, one chapter, da 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 and you think, you get the impression this is always happening like one day after another. No, no. Years would take off. Look, at just jump down to the beginning of chapter 2 there. 14 years later. I mean, there's big chunks of time here. Don't be discouraged if you've been saved for three, four years and you don't get all this yet. Okay? It takes some time growing in our faith, growing in these apostles didn't all of a sudden turn into things overnight. These guys, it took some time, particularly in Paul's case. He says, but after three years, he went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. And he says, and I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Now, who is James? Now, um, I don't want to offend anybody here, although I'm pretty good at it. Uh, because because there, there's, a, there's a certain disagreement in Christianity and not just all Catholics even, even others who believe that uh, Mary stayed a virgin all of her life okay she certainly was a virgin when Jesus was born but they believe that she stayed a virgin all of her life and then there's others who, who truly believe that no that's not true because the Bible went on to explain that uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters of course they said well that means spiritual but I, I don't think so and certainly here it talks about the Lord's brother some say well no that means brother in the faith no I don't think so I, I, think, it, I think it means basically his, his stepbrother as it would be because you know they, they had a heavenly an earthly father it certainly would have been an unbiblical thing uh, for Mary to have been married and to stay a virgin I'll tell you that you know but if you believe that fine I won't get a big fight with you but just so you know this, this is who this guy is this is James he was one of the Lord's brothers now I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie later I went to Syria and Cilicia I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. And here's the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Pretty cool, huh? That's what everybody was talking about. That's, you know, that's like you know, some major atheist somewhere all of a sudden becoming a believer. Man, check it out. You know, it'd be like the Osama of their day all of a sudden getting born again. Man, did you? Of course, that'd be... That guy's nuts, but anyway... Uh, and they, and they praised God because of me. Of course they praised God, man. They praised God, man. The guy who's trying to kill us got saved and now he's fighting for what we believe in. And this was a great encouragement to all the believers. Then chapter 2, verse 1. 14 years later, boom, look again. Big chunk of time. I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas. And I took Titus along uh, also. And I went in response to a revelation. 
and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. All right, what is he talking about? Let's back up into the book of Acts. And chapter 15. Actually, back up to chapter 10. Let's actually look at this revelation that Peter had. This is chapter 10, book X. Keeping in mind that they did not believe anybody except a Jew could be a Christian. Uh, so here's Peter. He says, at, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said... Cornelius and Cornelius stared at him in fear do you think some angel pops up and says hey Mark what's happening ah you know that's that would creep me out he says what is it Lord now check it out this guy is not a believer he prayed to God he had a good heart he wasn't Jewish he's an Italian all right God bless the Italians I love Italians clap the one Italian and uh, um, uh, but God appears to him this angel appears to him and he says what is it and, and the angel answered he says your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter he's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea uh, when the angel who spoke to him had gone Cornelius called to of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa so this guy tells them you know here is is this this guy Peter God's hearing your calling go check out Peter this is where he's at he, he printed out a map quest thing gave it to him showed him the directions and, and sent him there so now about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city Peter went up on the roof to pray He became hungry, wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles and creepy crawly bugs and creatures and icky things that Jews were not supposed to eat. And a voice told him, Peter, get up, kill it, eat it. And with exclamation point, surely not, Lord. He knew it was the Lord speaking to him. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. A very religious man. I've never done that. And the voice spoke to him a second time and says, Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Well, this happened three times. It kept happening. Here it comes again. Eat this. No! Don't call it unclean if I say it's clean. Happens again. Eat this. No! Immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, which it had to be very confusing to him, what was that? What was that about? I mean, this request to eat something the Jews were forbidden to eat by God was like, what? Completely rattled his brain. So while he's wondering about it, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. And they called out, is, is someone, Simon, who's known as Peter, staying here? And, and, and Peter was still thinking about the vision. While I was still thinking about it, the Spirit said to him, hey Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. And don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. Don't hesitate to go with them. Don't hesitate to go with them. Well, Peter went down and he saw these guys said, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men said, well, we've, we've come from this guy named Cornelius. He's a centurion. He's a righteous, God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. The Jews at least like this guy, even though he's poor, lowly Italian. <laughs> a holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, you have to understand, Jews had nothing to do with these people. I mean, the closest thing you can even begin to relate to is, you know, back in the 50s or 30s or whatever in this country where blacks and whites did not hang together and white people would not be seen in the company of black people. 
It was like that, only worse. Because this was not only natural bigotry, it was religious bigotry. And they had nothing to do with these people. So that's why the Spirit said, there's three guys looking for you, go with them. Don't ask any questions. This guy shows up and all of a sudden, you know, he's got to go with these guys? Ugh. So he goes. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. They probably were all creeped out. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. So there was a whole group of people there. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. He just, you know, he didn't know what was going on. They thought, well, let's worship him. Let's worship this guy. I mean, all I know is I see this angel and get this guy. Here he is. And Peter says, what? He says, stand up. Don't worship me. I'm only a man myself. How the church ever got into praying to saints, I'll have no idea. But this is, you know, this was never something that was ever in Christianity. Don't pray to me. I'm just a man. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Now he's doubly creeped out. Number one, he's with a bunch of creepy people going to a creepy guy's house who's now full of all kinds of creepy people. And the first thing he says to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even visit him. He said, you've got to understand, I should not be here with you people. Isn't that a way to win a crowd over? Just so you know, you're scuzzy people. And I, I shouldn't be here with you. And I don't know why I'm here. This is violating everything I've known. These are his opening comforting words. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man creepy crawly. Well, thanks. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. Uh, so what do you want? That's what he said. What do you want? <laughs> Checks me. He is no. If this would happen to any of us, we think this is a great opportunity. I can share my faith. Great. And at any time a preacher gets a bunch of people locked in a room, we just praise God. You know, we're waiting for someone to take the offering. You know what I'm saying? Let's have church. Let's preach the gospel. Let's do something. Here is this man called by God. He walked and talked with Jesus, touched him, held him in his arms. Even after he was raised from the dead. Whom he had spoken and said go into all the world and preach the gospel. When they heard that they thought you mean just Jews. That's what, that's what they thought. Remember they were. Jesus has been dead for some time now. And they'd have nothing to do with creepy people. People like us. Puerto Ricans and Italians and Germans and Polish people. And black and green and purple. They had nothing to do with it. So he came to this place not with a passion in his heart to preach. So here he has this great opportunity. He stands up and says, I really shouldn't be here with you people. What do you want anyway? Are you getting the picture here? I mean, this is like, wow. What a sweet guy. Well, Cornelius answered. He said, well, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. And three in the afternoon, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Talk to us. So well, Peter said, well, okay, I, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but obviously accepts men of every nation who fear him and do what's right. And he starts to talk, well, you know, the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And, and it's interesting, he says, you know this. See, the word, Jesus didn't do this, do this in a closet. These people lived during the time of Jesus. He says, you've heard about all this stuff, so you kind of know what's been going on. He says, you know what's been happening through Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 
we are interested. So anyway, he goes on, won't read the whole thing, but he starts preaching to them and explaining. Jump down to verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And, and verse 44. While he was still speaking. He was still in his speech. Very rude for the Holy Spirit to move while he's still talking. But while he's still talking, the Holy Spirit comes on all of them who heard the message. And the circumcised believers, these are the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues. These guys started speaking in tongues. Started praising God. Started worshiping Jesus. And these guys are going, holy stinking cow. It blew them away. And this caused quite a stir. Now let's go to uh, the 15th chapter of Acts. So some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Now this is, this is all the stuff that I've been talking about. This is what trailed Paul everywhere he went. They came along and said, well look, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You've got to do the weenie weenie trimming thing. All right? And, and you've got to obey all these rules. And he's really heavy. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into very mild conversations that they discussed over tea. Is that what it says? No. It brought them into sharp dispute and debate with them. This was no small discussion. These guys were duking it out. Christians. But fighting for the right things. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Because they were saying, you've got to do this. And they are saying, no, you shouldn't. And blah, blah, blah. And so... They go down to Jerusalem, so let's go check out what everybody's got to say. So the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this good news made, this news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who still belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Remember, these are Jews, 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 Jews. They're believers in Jesus, but they're still very, very religious. And stuck in the traditions of their religion all their lives. They stood up and said, look, the Gentiles must be circumcised. And they must be required to obey the laws of Moses. It is a done deal. They have to do it. Well, the apostles and elders meant meant to discuss this question. After much discussion, and again, I don't like the way this is translated. King James talks about after much debate. These guys were arguing. Peter got up and addressed them. And then Peter gets up and he says, Look, you know some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So he starts talking about what the story that they had heard. He says, Look, guys, I'm telling you, I have saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. Uh, and then jump to verse 12. Well, then the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had been done done among the Gentiles through them. People were getting saved. The power of God was there. Miracles were happening. All of this for one reason and one reason only because they preached the good news. That God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him could not perish but be rescued from damnation. Who could be saved. Who could have a relationship with God. That was the message. Plain and simple. And miracles were happening. And lives were changed. These guys were changing the world. And we know history. They went on to change the world. Early Christianity. They stuck the world on its ear. These guys were something else. Because of one reason and one reason only. They went and told people. God loves you. There's an answer for your sin problem. If you will believe in Christ, who was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, if you will trust in that, you can experience God. It's that simple. That is Christianity in a nutshell. And people were responding to this and stuff. And suddenly, these guys come along and say, no, 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 no. You, you, you still have to do all this. And Paul's argument, as we'll see in Galatians, he says, did you experience miracles because you followed all of this? 
Oh, but because you believed in Jesus. Well, the answer is because they believed in Jesus. And don't get sidetracked. So anyway, they, they have this big debate. And uh, it's interesting. Um, verse 13, check this. this. When, they, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Listen to me. Simon has described how God first showed, and he starts telling them, this is what Simon, remember Simon told us, and Paul told us this, and stuff like that. And then in verse 19, he says, we're going to take a vote, and whoever has the most votes on the board will prevail. That's biblical Christianity. No? One guy made the call? <gasps> One guy made the call. He listened to all of them. He got input. Now, we're not talking about guys in charge who don't listen to people, do whatever they want, and, and bully people and just, oh, I'm the pastor, I don't want to get out of my way. No, no, no. He listened to everybody. He was there for all of it. Everybody had input. But in the end, it was the guy who was in charge of the church in Jerusalem. And at that time, it was James, the brother of Jesus. And he made the final call. If anyone ever challenges you on that, you need to understand, this is not something we made up. Because that's the way this church is run. Quite frankly, virtually all the largest growing churches in America today are run that way. These 400,000 churches in America, 80% of which have 125 people in them, are run congregationally. The inmates run the asylum. (laughs) And they think it's so biblical. It is not biblical. I understand there's deacons and elders. I understand that. What any voting going on? At the end, it was the leader of that congregation who made the call. So what happens if he makes the wrong call? Well, then you quit following that and it wouldn't get away from him. It's just that simple. You don't be freaked out. This isn't some big word cult thing. But the kingdom of God doesn't get advanced by committees. It gets advanced by leadership, spiritual leadership, godly leadership that listens and prays and trusts in godly mature men and women to give them input and guidance. And not walking arrogantly, but humbly before God. And then he has to make the call. This is a biblical way of running things. And and, uh, uh, the reason I share that for you, for some of you who are kind of new to this church, one of the knocks you'll hear, you know, people start talking about, well, the problem with that celebration church is a pastor-run church. They don't have a board. They don't have a board telling them what to do. Well, that's just unbiblical. No, you're not. No, it's not. No, it's not. I really believe what they're doing is unbiblical. I really do. I don't hate them for it. It's not bad. I'm just saying. Goodness gracious, this is why these churches can't grow. There's a few exceptions. There's some big, large churches that are congregationally run, but even then, there's usually some strong leadership that has figured out how to overcome the board. <laughs> it's true. That's why so many churches, they grow to about 500 people and then they split right down the middle. Grow to about 300 people and they split right down the middle. Grow to 400 people and they split right down the middle. Man, I tell you, these churches split like amoebas. They do. It happens every day in America. It happens, it happens in Green Bay all the time. There's a few of them recently. Churches, somebody giggling over there must have been part of it. But, you know, <laughs> they do. They grow. They get so big. And then the board gets in. Oh, I don't think this one. I don't think that. Bless God, we're not going to have this goofy looking colored carpet on this platform. Which will make you hallucinate if you look at it very long. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't here for that one. All right. But, uh, yeah, we're not going to do We're going to have a blue carpet. No, we're not. We're going to have a red carpet. No, we're not. We're going to have a psychedelic carpet. And I vote and I do all these politics and they split and fall apart. And the kingdom of God stays impotent because of this nonsense. It is not unbiblical. And this man says, in my judgment, therefore... We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is when they made the call, thank God, that we don't have to do all this stuff. You know what we have to do? Here's the letter they wrote in verse 24. He writes to all the brothers, he says, we've heard that some went out from among us. Remember, us, us. These were believers who were hassling them about this stuff. We heard that some went out from without our authorization. 
<laughs> they backpedaled a little. And they disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men to send to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we're sending Judas and Silas, not Judas Iscariot, the different Judases. Judas Iscariot <coughs> hung himself. Uh, uh, and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. In other words, we're sending people, we're sending these guys back and others who are witnesses along with this letter. They really wanted everyone to know we made this decision. It seemed good to us, good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And there's a whole sermon on that and I don't have time to get into that. I'm going to teach on that sometime. But good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. These are the only requirements from the Old Testament law that Christians are required to still obey. You ready for them? Here they are. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Not a big problem around here. We don't have a lot of idol worship and people you know, sacrificing chickens and then giving you, you know, chicken nuggets. All right. But if they did, if they had a McDonald's or something, a chicken nuggets thing with sacrificed idols, you're, we were not supposed to eat there. Okay? Uh, and then from blood. You know, I don't know if a lot of people drink blood, but not something we're not supposed to do. And from meat or strangle animals. In other words, um, typically when they, uh, uh, they uh, you know, slaughter an animal, they bleed the animal and stuff, let the blood drain out of it and stuff like that. You can kill an animal and not drain it, and the meat is just loaded with blood, which sounds really gross. But there's some people who actually like that. And uh, some cultures that they actually kill the animals that way, so it's just this blood-soaked, you talk about juicy. But uh, Christians aren't supposed to eat that stuff. Interesting. Just of all the legalism, that's one little thing we're not supposed to do. Food sacrifice idols, bloody, yicky things. Not that you can't eat a steak medium rare, okay. But I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm talking about really drenched, you know, icky caca stuff. Okay? Uh, and, and from sexual immorality, duh. I'd be thrilled if most Christians just followed that last one. Sexual immorality, don't get me started. He says, if you do this, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That is it. That is it. And to this day, we have believers who constantly try to grab things out of the Old Testament and impose them on us. They have wonderful, logical reasonings for it, but they're wrong. They're just wrong. Again, if you want to follow some of these things because uh, of, you know, your own choice, or you think, well, you know, there's some good health reasons to eat, I don't have a problem with that. When you attach religious reasons to it and impose it on others, I believe you've gotten off base. And we will pick up from there next Wednesday night. Where's our worship team? Pastor Lathan. <laughs>